Welcome back to the Devin Kershaw Show. I'm Nat Hers with Faster Skier. We've got the penultimate Olympic podcast here recapping an exciting, if truncated, 50-kilometer skate race today, which ended up being a 28K. We've got a special guest, former American cross-country skiing star Chris Freeman on the podcast today. We'll be back in a minute after this word from our sponsor. This episode of the Devin Kershaw Show is brought to you by New Moon Ski and Bike, located in beautiful Hayward, Wisconsin's picturesque North Woods region, which borders Michigan's Upper Peninsula and is home to the country's largest cross-country ski race, the American Berkebiner. The Berkey has over 100 kilometers of cross-country ski trails that stretch from Cable, Wisconsin to Hayward. Some have named the trail as the number one cross-country ski destination in the entire United States. The trails are groomed and maintained for both skate and classic skiing, or ditch the skis altogether and go fat biking instead. Hayward boasts more than 50 miles of groomed fat bike trails to choose from. New Moon has ski and fat bike rentals available with experts ready for waxing and repair services. Berkebiner Week starts February 23rd and runs through February 27th, 2022. New Moon is fully stocked with everything you'll need Berkey Week and beyond. They're the area's premier shop for skis, snowshoes, and fat bikes, offering store-wide discounts, expert fitting, and outstanding customer service. When in Hayward, look for them on Highway 63 in the Big Log Chalet, or check them out online at newmoonski.com. I think we got Freeman on this, Ma, too. No? Uh, yeah, I'm we, here. Yep, we do. Yeah, Chris, hey. hey, morning. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Devin. <laughs> or what time is it there? Uh, it's the afternoon here, but just, just uh, it's 1, 1 p.m. Thanks for joining us. Really pumped for you to jump on with this. Oh, it's a great day time. for it. Yeah, it kind of is a great day, and um, I know you want to introduce it, Nat, because you're there. But like, I'm just, I'm just antsy in my pantsy. 1924, first ever 50k at the first Denver Winter Olympics. Every Olympics since then, there's been a 50k. The 50k in cross country skiing is the crown jewel of the Olympics, no question. And this year in a controversial decision, <laughs> but I mean, they were dealing with bad weather, which I hope you jump into now, but they shortened the 50 K to a 28.4 kilometer mass start skate. And for the first time in Olympic history, we have a 28.4 kilometer Olympic champion. And I hope it's the last time in Olympic history, I ever have to watch a 28.4 kilometer mass start. <laughs> so that, I just wanted to start right, right with that. What, what did you guys think about that decision? Chris, you want to jump in on that? Um, well, I, I kind of woke up in the middle of the night um, to, to watch the finish of the race, and I was really confused. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's fair. You know, I'm watching these guys. You know, I'm seeing the kilometers tick by, and they're like at 25K, and they're just jamming. And I'm like, this is not – no, they're not going to hold this for another 25K. And then they came into the stadium and finished. You know, I'm, in my, I'm in my morning brain fog. Um, so I was definitely confused and, uh, I figured out what happened this morning. Um, I actually have a question for Nat. So on the ground, what is the temperature? How nasty is the wind? Yeah. So you guys, can you guys hear me well? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just left the press center. I'm standing outside the press center and wearing my, wearing my earbuds, um, watching the piston bully go by. I mean, it is like, effing gnarly for sure like i'm looking out sort of toward the stadium toward these like big hills and the lights are on and it's like there is snow and fog 
it's just blowing like horizontal. And like while I'm in the press center, like writing up some stories, like the roof is shuddering. Like athletes were out training before the race and coming back and like telling the men that were racing, like wear more clothes than you would ever think you need because it's just the way it's just it's really the wind. Like it's three degrees Fahrenheit, and and like they were saying two and a half hours before the race, they were recording gusts at. 30 miles an hour, um, which, you know, effective wind chill at negative 20 degrees Fahrenheit, which, you know, on the one hand sounds extreme on the other hand, like, and, and we can go into this a little more, like, you know, athletes were wearing tape. A lot of the race was kind of in this shelter, more sheltered trees area, uh, kind of at one end of the trail system. And like, you know, athletes were coming across the finish line, not coming across the finish line, but like coming into the press conferences and, 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 and conversations after the race kind of saying, you know, yeah, like it was cold, but it was fine. And like, it's not like we couldn't have raced another 20 kilometers. So, I mean, more to say about the weather. And, you know, I mean, I think in particular, like, I think we could and should talk about the fact that biathlon had a race scheduled for today. And, you know, three or four days ago, they announced that they moved it up to yesterday because they had seen the forecast. And, in, and, and I was talking to some biathlon officials earlier today who said, you know, not only had we seen the forecast, we know that the, we, we had experienced that the forecasting here had actually been spot on and we had confidence in it. Uh, and so they moved the race and, you know, not something you can really, I think, easily do, especially like day of, but, you know, I think it's a real open question for, the International Ski Federation, why they didn't think about this a few days ago, knowing that the forecast was there. And they're just, they're not, they're not answering those questions right now. And that does not surprise me. That disappoints me, but that doesn't surprise me. And, and <laughs> you, you, you bring up such a great point, like such a great point. It's, you cannot look at this and throw your hands in the air and go like, well, it's God's will. Because as you mentioned, Biathlon, which is crushing cross-country in viewership numbers and sponsorship dollars, they make the proper call. Of course, they're shooting a 22 rifle, right? Like, so 22 caliber. So those bullets are light. And if it's nuking wind like it was today, like we were watching, I mean, like that'd be a, that would be a parody of a Biathlon race. But regardless, they moved the men's mass start, the last race of the Biathlon Olympic Games a day early. And we had fair and great competitions there, both for men and women, but it was the men's race that was moved. And you know, they interviewed Hans Christer Holland after the race and they asked him about, asked him about that. And, and that he had the exact same perspective as you is like, he doesn't understand why Fist just didn't move the race to the day before when it could have been fair conditions. And Petter Nortug, of course, you knew he was going to weigh in on this. And like, he, he just said, he was like flat out. He's like to neuter the 50 K into some bastardized 28.4 is unacceptable. And you have two options with the Olympic 50 K it's cancel it outright or or move it and fist chose to do neither of those options and i i am just left with like just such a weird feeling okay i'm in like some bizarre world and i'm not condoning the decisions i'm about to bring up but in the marathon so in 2019 in track and field that those were in doha and it was horrendous marathon conditions and, and like people were passing out and you know it was a it was a hellish race but they didn't shorten the men's marathon at the world championships to like 31.7 kilometers, some like random distance. Like they, they held the race for better or worse. We can come back to that. But the Boston marathon a few, few years ago, I don't know if you guys remember that you, you two are Americans. And I mean, that's a marquee event. 
and it was like raunchy weather, like down around like under five degrees Celsius, raining like absolute mayhem, like winning times were like just under 250 for the women. Like it was, it was just Narbar and they held those races and it wasn't even discussed to shorten the distance to some like random ass distance. And I, I think that's what provokes me the most is do I think the results of the, the race were going to be any different if you had 20 extra kilometers to, to ski around out there? Absolutely not. I mean, honestly, I, I think the only surprise I had was that Yakamushkin had anything left to, to, to seal it for silver. But I mean, seeing Kruger on the podium, yeah, that was a great story. We'll come back to that. And like Bolshunov, um, once you saw and heard about the reasons why Klebo had to drop out or decided to drop out and then just seeing the day that Holland had where he just didn't have a great day. Yeah, he got a bit unlucky, broke a pole, blah, blah, blah. But but I mean, really, it was Bolshanov's race to lose. I, I, I think he would have won the 50K had it been 20 extra kilometers the way he was skiing. So hold up just a second. The, uh, what, yeah, what, jump what, in there. What are the issues with Klebo? What happened there? I mean, I know he dropped oh, out. but Yeah. Yeah, so Klebo actually is... Um, for the last 24 hours, he's been, he's, his stomach has been really bothering him and he had some diarrhea <laughs> and then that's like, not just some, like he was going to the, like his stomach was not he, like, he, not he, I think it, his quote to NRK was like, I spent more time in the bathroom than I did sleeping last night or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And then, so he was talking with the Norwegian national team doctors and the doctors were like, absolutely not Johannes, you're not racing there 50 kilometers, no chance. Then they made this last minute change to 28.4 kilometers. And he's, and he just said like, I got to try because it's windy as hell. If this is just going to be like a comfort cruise and a sprint finish, uh, I, I won't be able to live with myself if I let that opportunity go. So we decided to race and, and it just didn't work out. He, he didn't have the energy and he dropped out, which is of course the smartest decision. I was really, uh, I, I mad respect for Claybo actually when he dropped out that he came through the mix zone right away and explained himself to, to the media. And, um, you know, this is the kind of stuff we need from our, from our sporting heroes in cross country skiing. And he did it with a lot of poise. And he, of course he's disappointed and not feeling well as, uh, as well. So the fact that he took the time for that, I've, I've a lot of respect for, for that. But, um, so with that happening, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It's just weird. Like it's good to get the on the ground updates and that. Cause like exactly what Chris said, like watching, watching the race, like, of course it looked windy, but I mean, we've seen windy races before Chris has raced crazy windy races. So have I. And I'm like, is it really that much worse than some other like horrendous days on, <laughs> on cross country skis? That right. I, I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, would any of these guys actually change what they did for training? If the weather was like this, or would they have just gone out and done what they was, was prescribed? And I have a feeling that most of them would have just gone out and done their plan. I mean, yeah, uh, I mean, that's, I mean, I, I think like, that's what, I mean, you know, we had women out there prepping for the 30 K and, you know, they still went out and skied and did full race prep. And they were like, it was effing cold, but like, you know, it's not like people couldn't it be, it wasn't Fairbanks at minus 40. It was Fairbanks at, you know, five degrees and windy. I'm kind of thinking yeah. right now about Lati 2001, uh, which totally dates me, but I was there competing. Um, but the, and uh, they, they had to cancel the women's 30K outright. Um, and that was pretty controversial because it was right on that minus four Fahrenheit line, minus 20 Celsius. Um, and then the next day, it was like minus 22 Celsius. And they're just like, we're holding it. <laughs> and, they <had> the, <laughs> and they had the men's 50K. And everything went off fine. Um, but I can say that that day, I didn't go training because it was freaking cold. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah. So and, and the it, precedent has been to hold the races, and um, I I think they should have held the full length today. Yeah, me too. I'm, but this is like again, like Chris and I are armchair critics. We're at, we're at home. Like he's he's on the eastern seaboard in the U.S. and I'm I'm here in Norway. And like it's like yeah, you should have done it. But but I agree. Yeah, I'm warm I mean, in bed right now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what I what I will say is like it's just the 50k is just such a marquee event and for people that have raced cross-country skiing and people that follow it closely everyone understands like you know we don't we, we might not agree on every single thing tactically who is the favorites how we like our courses what do you like to see on tv all that how, how you like to describe races but like man you're hard pressed to find people out there that don't agree that at the olympic games the big one is the 50 for the men and to, to see that not happen, oh, that, that, was, that was a little heartbreaking for a ski fan for me. At least. I, also, I also really want to just add one point, which is sort of as the journalist here, like, you know, the story that I wrote after the race today, because it was the most interesting was, you know, Fist changes this 50K to a 28K and there's a whole bunch of backlash. Instead of a story on Scott Patterson uh, gets the best Olympic finish for an American man since Bill Koch uh, and, and whatever other stories about performances are. And, you know, I mean, I think you could make an argument that whatever they'd done, that would have been the focus today, but it just, it's frustrating that, you know, I, I feel kind of responsible for not highlighting performances, but it's like, I am not the one that made this decision. Um, so I don't, you know, it's just, it's sad that this is what we're, talking about on the last second to last day of the Olympics when we could be talking about, you know, a thrilling 50 K or the fact that they postponed the race by a day, you know? Yeah. And I'll jump in on that. Like, let's talk about that. Let's give the airtime Scott deserves yeah. because Scott is an Olympic specialist and he's, we, you know, I made a lot of jokes about Ben Ogden being like the working class hero, but Scott Patterson is, is also in this camp. He, trains his ass off he's tough as nails if you have any questions about that start looking up like random alaskan trail running races and seeing what he does in that arena as well scott is so impressive he's had such a horrible lead up that we covered that earlier in earlier podcasts about his broken wrist and all through that but the fact that today man oh man like what a thrilling race to watch for a north american ski fan seeing scott fight like that he had just ridiculously fast skis so i hope that the american wax staff can really like take a lot of confidence from that because man i I, scott's skis were the fastest in that in that field when he was when it was a group of eight there and to come eighth at the olympic games when you're not a week in week out top 10 skier on the world cup it's incredible and he's following that up from an 11th place earlier in these olympics and this is maybe like a shot at the at USSA, but I wanted to talk to Chris about this because like, you know, I know we're going to get some backlash and people are going to be like, why did the US only start one man in the 28.4K race? <laughs> and, you know, we, we, maybe we can get into that or not. But the fact of the matter is the one man they did start was Scott. He delivered a wonderful performance. And as far as I'm concerned, you have a lot of good young talent in the US right now on the men's side. And they're, they're you know, they have incredible self-confidence they've delivered some fantastic performances mostly in the sprint side of things but a lot of those guys can be good distance gears as well i think it is so important to have guys like scott on the team 
that hard man attitude in the training when things get tough when you're doing like four five six yeah. hour od workouts when you're doing those long level three sessions uh where, or or level four sessions where you're really drilling it you need a scott patterson there to show these young kids the ropes and, and kind of teach them to be tough because like to be perfectly honest distance skiing and cross-country skiing this shit's hard it's super hard and i hope ussa realizes what a what a diamond they have in Scott Patterson, who just quietly gets it done. I mean, like Pyeongchang were, were his best international results ever. And then he just went right back into the darkness and didn't deliver anything. And then here comes to the Olympics with bad prep and he delivers two wonderful performances, best of his career. This is important for USSA. I don't know what you think, Chris. Well, I've definitely quoted you on the Olympic specialist thing. Um, I mean, he is, he is, he's been lights out at both Olympics now. And I was watching today and I, I mean, I think that's the best I've ever seen him ski. Uh, he just looked so oh, yeah. good. Fast skis always help you make, make you look good, but at the same time, he's, he's covering Bolshinov's moves. Uh, that was just really impressive. Um, you know, and Patterson's kind of the only guy of his generation um, that got any U.S. ski team support. Um, you know, in the last six years, it's kind of been like, well, look, we got Schumacher and Ben and Luke. Let's just wait for them to come up. And he's been, you know, he's been uh, on the national team kind of going it alone. I mean, he's got a great group uh, with APU. You know, he's got Norris to train with. And I think when we, when we think about, you know, the rise of U.S. skiing, um, you know, you can easily praise the U.S. ski team for the good things that they've done. But at the same time, it's our clubs that have just – totally changed how development works in our in our country i mean you i trained with you at stratton i mean stratton's not an anomaly um we've got clubs with olympians um you know top 10 world cup skiers all around the country now and i think that's where the real the real growth is coming from we're just we're feeding the u.s ski team better better athletes now because they're training better from a younger age um and Patterson works hard. I mean, I don't know his training inside and out, but I hear, you know, thousand hours, uh, fantastic runner. Um, it's just awesome to see him perform at the level that I've, you know, I've had my butt kicked by him like six years ago domestically. And like, that looks like that, that better have been top 10 form and you have no idea, you know? Um, so I've seen him ski really fast and it was on the, to put it together on the biggest stage today, I mean that—that's a—that—that's a—that's just such a career performance. Um, maybe I hope he—I hope he can do, do even better. But I to only be thirty-three seconds out—that's—that's uh, that's really impressive. Oh yeah, I really want just really impressive. Like, like before I jump in that, I want to jump in on that because like what Chris said is so important. Like to be thirty-three seconds out, but just the way. He was 33 seconds out. So he looked like a total hero all day long. Like Chris said, I agree. Like technically I've been critical of Scott Patterson's technique in the past. Cause it is a bit ragged. It oh, he is. still had the and head, today, the head movements. Oh and... yeah. Oh, for sure. But it was the least ragged I've ever seen Scott. I agree with you hundred percent. And he was skiing well, technically for Scott hundred percent. But the crazy thing is, is like, he's in that pack looking totally comfortable. Bolshinov doesn't move with like 5k to go. He kind of gets popped a little bit. Then they start dicking around again and he comes back. But then once he comes back, he wasn't ragged again. You know, like he was right there to Bolshinov made that big move with two, 2.6 K to go when Bolshinov essentially went for the line and uh, drilled it home. 
Um, but yeah, no, it, Scott Patterson, career day, top 10, coming off in 11th place. And for the young American athletes at home, you need, you want a guy like that at your training camps. You want a guy like that on those hard sessions, that third week of a training camp in Park City when everyone's tired and you've been putting in like 20, 25 to 30 hour weeks back to back. And you got to get up in the morning and you got to deliver like a good performance. That's how you get better. You want a Scott Patterson there to push you and, and, and be that kind of be that, be that leader out on the training, out on the training session. So uh, just awesome performance. And, and like Chris said, like for sure, USA, of course, I mean, look what those guys were doing at world juniors, like got Schumacher, Luke Yeager. I mean, we could go on and on. Like these guys are, are huge talents. They will be huge. The JC in the sprints. I mean, there's, we can just go on, but like these guys will get there, but having a guy like Scott Patterson is, is a boon for, for the USC team. And he can have a great leadership role. He's not the most outspoken. He's not, um, he doesn't run his mouth like some other people, but there's, there's other kinds of leadership and out on the road, I think he could he'd be a huge asset for those young guys. So I hope, I hope that the structure allows that to, to happen. And of course, yeah, I agree with you too, Chris, like APU man, like uh, Flora, like his whole training group, David Norris. I hope, I hope he takes a lot of confidence from that as well. It was kind of controversial. Of course, David Norris has been on the short end of the stick on some of these championships and not getting the same opportunities that maybe a lot of people in the U S think he should, but I hope he takes a lot of confidence that like his, his training partners have a lot to say for Scott to be able to have a performance like that. So hats off to everyone involved. I was just going to say, I want Scott Patterson to get a ski classics contract. I feel like, uh, you know, the guy does not get enough of a chance to really show like and play to his talents of these long kind of grueling races. And like, it's just how great would it be to see him like racing in the Vassalopit or the Norwegian Berkey or, or whatever. That's, that's what these kind of ski classics races are. And then I, just really quickly, and then I think we can move on the, um, I just, I think it tactically Scott's race. I mean, you kind of said this, Devin, but like, I think we often see some of these like North American guys get to a place where they're like in a good position in a race, in a race and they're not used to it. And they do something dumb. Like they'll go to the front or they'll cover a move that they don't need to be covering or shouldn't be covering. And I just felt like, you know, it should be really basic to ski tactically well, like, like Scott ski today, but it, I just feel like it's not. And I just feel like every time you saw a TV camera on Scott, he was exactly where he should have been. Like, you know, he was never the guy at the front. He was the guy in the second row out of the wind. Um, he was covering, he was covering the moves that needed to be covered, but he wasn't covering the ones that he didn't need to cover. And I just, you know, he looked like a guy who was, an adult skiing like a smart race which just it was it was fun to watch and and just you know scott was in their very best guy in the world ahead of holland ahead of yeah. these other guys like you know scott patterson just due to trains in anchorage is like right in there with bolshunov and yakamushkin and kruger all the way up until like the last 5k of the race and that's just it's awesome yeah, totally. And I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like he skied super intelligently and I'm not just saying, I'm not just going to say glowing words to the guy sitting with us on this podcast, <laughs> but uh, Chris, like you were always so good at individual start races and that, and, and to do well in an individual start races, you have to be skiing intelligently. You have to manage your energy properly. And I agree with you, Nat, especially in these mass starts, when you have guys like Scott, that sorry to say, he doesn't have a lot of experience skiing at the sharp end of these, these mass starts. He doesn't have, it's not like he's put together 20 of these mass starts 
in a row here. Um, and he skied very intelligently. It was, it was awesome. And before we get on to the international race, I just want to spend two seconds on the Canadians as well. So Olivier, first year senior, he comes 27th. And Remy Drolet, he come, he's just outside of the top 30. And their Olympics has been super tough. I've already covered that during, <laughs> during, during these last 16 days. But I, I just wanted to give a shout out to those two guys, not only for starting, but they had some problems early in the race. They kind of like were distanced fairly early. And I think they also skied an intelligent race. And a 21-year-old, a 22-year-old, or 23-year-old, sorry, these guys are young in Canada. They have a lot of experience. If you go back and start rooting through the results list of how we did in Torino, my generation in, in 2006, uh, this Canadian team, even though they missed some really important races, you know, like Remy, the pursuit was a great race for him and he just missed it completely. That was hard to see. Tony, Antoine Sear in the, in the 15K Classic, when you're 11th in Ruka, it's a great opportunity for you and there's only four per nation. He missed that. But Tony brought it back for the team sprint, fifth place, which was fantastic. And then also too, you have you have uh, what, what Remy and Olivier did today was solid races and they can leave with their heads held high. And I think they can build on this experience. So for the Canadian men, you're young, you're all super talented. I mean, you got world junior medals, world junior top fives, and now you've got some real international experience and to close out this championship uh, with, with some solid racing and especially the later stages of this race after a little tougher opening. I'm really proud of those guys. So I, I just wanted to say that as well. I wanted to say that, that with the, with the, the U S guys, you know, we brought a team of six men and four of them qualified as sprinters. So we only had two distance men over here and then, Gus was a little off his game. I believe he actually left a few days ago and flew to Norway to, to prep for his next races there. And, you know, we started talking about um, Norris and I, I couldn't help but think about Norris not being in this race. You know, he had two top twenties um, in the last world championships. He had two top twenties in the world championships before that. And, you know, that's a little bit of an obscure statistic, but I went back and looked at, uh, you know, since, since like the nineties, the only, the only other guys that have done that is um, is uh, Carl Swenson, Scott Patterson, and myself. Um, and I was like, I really would have loved to have seen David in that race and see what he could do. And I also started thinking about when I was, uh, you know, in the racing in the mid two thousands. Um, the Nordic director came and said, you know, you got to start doing sprints because we need to get our Olympic quota higher. And whatever the Olympic quota thing was at that point. You had to have team, you had to have sprint points and distance points um, to expand the amount of people you could bring, and you know it's just like you can you can make arguments either way. But I would have loved to if we could have uh, figured out a way to qualify eight athletes and not left um, Norris and um, Adam Martin at home. I would have loved to have seen what Adam could have done in that fifteen k, and I would have loved to see what Norris could have done today. Um, but that's a I suppose another topic. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I think it's a good topic for discussion. I think, you know, we talked about it with the USD team coaches today. And I mean, they basically said the same thing. And I think, you know, the response was, look, the, these selections were made based on criteria, which really are put together by the skiing community, not just imposed by US coaches, but it, it also, you know, some amount of frustration expressed at this low Olympic quota of six, which, which was, lowered so i don't know um i don't know if devin uh disappeared here i mean i think it's probably appropriate segue into looking at the kind of sharp end of the race here but definitely you know i think that was uh 
that thought was on the minds of folks back of a number of folks back home. I think David Norris himself and, you know, even the coaches here, I think we're also feeling like, man, you know, this was not an ideal just to have one guy in this race. So, um, well, the, guess, the, quota that we, the quota we brought was from the qualification. We didn't qualify to bring more. Um, so we need to, I don't even know exactly what the qualification standard is to increase the team size, but like you said, this is a different, different topic. Um, should get back to the race. Yeah, but before we do, I'll, I'll, I'll add to that. Like, I'm glad you brought that up, Chris. That's super important. The, the fact of the matter is the American men haven't delivered on the World Cup in distance lately. If you don't deliver on distance, you don't get the quota spots you need. So as great as I agree, David Norris, he got top 30s. He's been racing right around 20th there, which is great. You know what it means? Really good. But you know what? By and large, the last three years, the last quadrennial, the American men haven't delivered in distance. And this is what you get. And that said, look at the sprints we put, not we, I'm not American, but you put four guys in the top 30 in the sprints. And then you have a Scott Patterson taking the leadership role in the, uh, in the distance races with an 11th and an eighth. This is great results to build from. And hopefully by the next Olympics in Cortina, or it's going to the rate, the cross country race is going to be in Val de Fiam, We'll be back up towards the, the, those eight men because they're good enough. There's no yeah. reason why they can't do it. I think we are good enough. And I think if we had part of the issue, I think is there just hasn't been there's been very little focus on the men's distance skiing. It's kind of, it's been the last priority of, of the ski team. Um, and I understand that because they put their, most of the resources behind where they think they can get a medal, which is obviously right now, any race that Jesse and Rosie are in. So the women get a higher priority and then we've got better sprinters uh, coming up. Uh, so you put the more, pri more priority behind them. And then the, you know, Patterson's generation has just, not been getting the support um, or coaching uh, from the national team that I that I to achieve what I think their potential could have been. Yeah, and I'll agree with that. I mean, that there's there's no question. But um, you know, finite resources, right? That's the tough thing. This is just like a finite resource thing, and and I think I, I think in, instead of breaking this down so much, like you said, Chris, we can get back to the races. But I mean, like. What, what Scott did is inspiring, and I hope it inspires Norris, and I hope it inspires some of these other distance guys that kind of feel like they've been left out or whatever. That, That's a pretty hey, good man, note. It's a pretty good note, though. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah, inspire, inspire those guys. Like, yeah, it's been tough the last few years, but the fact of the matter is when they have had those limited chances, they haven't been able to deliver phenomenal results <laughs> they've, they've, they've had good results they've had good results no question but they haven't been able to have the results that are gonna lift them to that level that we talked about and I, and I hope those guys of that generation can really take a lot of inspiration from what happened with Scott it's too bad we only saw Scott doing it because yeah, I agree with you Chris totally Norris today especially in these tough conditions or in the pursuit like we could have seen some great racing uh, from him but you know what hopefully it just lights a fire under all these guys asses and uh, Gus gets back on form and distance and, and the next four years the future can be bright for the American men on distance as well well and then of course Luke Yeager and Ben Ogden have uh, nothing but upside when it comes to distance racing um, and I'm and same with JC I was really impressed with his third place at U.S. Nationals in the 15k classic so our young, our young sprinters, there's nothing stopping them from also being uh, young, great distance skiers. On that note, um, maybe we segue here. And, and uh, I'm curious uh, what you guys took away from that race, which I think, you know, 
wanted to make itself into an exciting race and had athletes wanting to make itself into an exciting race. And I, you know, I felt like it was not an unexciting race, but I think in the end it felt like, you know, you kind of could have predicted that podium for sure. For sure. Um, And you know what? It was written. It was written. It was Norway versus versus Norway. I actually got some, like some people threw shade at me, which I, which I think is fair. You know, some people are saying like, Hey man, we're watching, we're watching like magic Johnson and Michael Jordan play each other at the top of their game like why do you always say men's distance races is boring <laughs> and it's true you know when you look at it that way I mean Bolshinov's technique is incredible um his talent is insane I mean this was his ninth Olympic race the guy has nine Olympic medals like how that's that's just so in that's just so crazy and he's 25 years old like this is just like mind-blowing so the performances I agree were were uh well predictable uh, in, incredible performance, especially by Bolshunov to, to take the win like that. And the, the Norwegians again, like Kruger too. What a story with Kruger coming back from COVID, uh, being locked in the hotel room for a week in Sazerel while his team travels to, to China. So many question marks. And man, like I was texting you, Nat. I'm like, he's going to win this thing. Because like he was covering the moves from Bolshunov like it was no big deal. And in the end, he just didn't have that last punch that a Bolshunov had. But again, Kruger came into this race cold and Bolshinov's had all this momentum throughout the championship. But uh, can you give us I, I a little was, bit of uh, can you give us a little bit of detail on wh- when Kruger came into China? Because I tried to figure that out, but reading reading translated Norwegian articles <laughs> is, leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah, I mean Kruger was here. Kruger has been in China for I think it was eight days before this race, or okay. seven days at least. So um, he was there for a week. The, the, the biggest question I had, and I still haven't found like a uh, great answer for this is how, how many days was he locked in his hotel room in Sazerelm? Because that's the thing. He, he, he said it himself. He's like, I had a minor cold, like had like barely any symptoms. Uh, and you know, as well as I do, Chris, if you have a minor cold and you're as good as Kruger or in good as shape and, and you miss like five days of training, three weeks before a championship, that, that won't affect you. You know, sometimes but the helps. COVID, sometimes <laughs> it helps. Yeah. Sometimes it helps get, get exactly, uh, takes the pressure off you and also gives you a chance to digest some of the training. Uh, but the COVID piece is, is the question mark, right? Like there's just so much unknown about how that would affect the body. You saw Jarl Magnus river in the, in the Nordic combined. He, he just, he just didn't have it. He just totally did not have, have it. Uh, and he and, had brain fog. Yeah. And he had brain fog and everything. I went the wrong way. Like that. I said earlier, only I, and, Stadlober have ever done in the Olympic games, I think. So uh, Ribber can join that, but I think, yeah, I think it's a, it, it's a challenge, but the fact that he, I think the fact that the, the race that Kruger delivered today was just so incredible. Especially what do you make of the Norwegian skis? I mean, I, I, I think only the Norwegian team was, was changing their skis today from what I saw on camera. And I mean, Kruger had to work pretty damn hard to catch back up to the pack after he lost that 15 seconds at the exchange. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and, it was, and Holland never really did. Um, no, and it was interesting. There's been a lot of talk about the skis and with the Norwegians, but I was also texting with Nat about this. Did you know that notice this, Chris? Like, when have you ever seen so little fishers in the lead pack? And it seemed mm. like Fisher just wasn't really looking that good for the first time maybe ever <laughs> especially in the men's field where like almost all the big names are on fisher or have been traditionally i know bolshenov isn't and i mean there's a number of guys that aren't but uh, i was surprised with that 
all the athletes in the mix zone said their skis were good, but I agree with you, Chris. I think the Norwegian skis were lacking that magic they're so used to having. Mm-hmm. And, and if you're changing skis, you're not going into the ski exchange in minus 16 degrees Celsius, dry, like no humidity, snow. If your skis are good, <laughs> no one else yeah. was doing it. So they, so they changed their skis because they obviously weren't happy with them. And was that the difference maker for Kruger? The way it played out, I don't think so. But Holland, okay. that, that's a, when you're not having a great day. I mean, you've been in there. I've been in there. Like when you're not having a great day, your mind's like, man, my skis aren't good enough. Then you go in, you change your skis. You have to work hard to get back in the pack. Then Holland breaks a pole. Then he gets a new one. He has to ski kind of try and oh, get I back again. Oh, I didn't see the pole like, break. I didn't see yeah, the pole no, break. He had a, yeah, so he broke his pole at kind of in an inopportune time. So he'd kind of come back to the pack after changing his skis. And then he broke a pole. Then he lost it again. And then he was like dangling there for like in that dead zone, the worst place you can be like five seconds or six, five to 10 seconds off that, that lead group right. with, uh, and that, that was just a, a super struggle. Right. And then so, he caught right up to the pack just as it split into two and he ended up in the slower of the two. So. It, it, exactly. So, and, and he said it himself, Holden said it himself. He just didn't have the body and he was making some mistakes. The opposite of Scott Patterson, he was just making some, some stupid decisions out there. He said it himself. Um, you know, he didn't blame anybody for his broken pole. He, he was just saying that like, maybe I shouldn't have changed skis. Maybe I shouldn't have been in the position where my pole could have got broken. And I was using a little too much energy and, and, and that's that. And I mean, it's disappointing for Holland, but it's disappointing for the whole Norwegian men's team. Really? Like if you think of the last four years and the dominance of the Norwegian men in distance to come to the Olympics and then just get the floor wiped by Russia. Uh, I mean, that's a pill that's going to be bitter to swallow, but, but the silver lining for Norway is the championships that weren't at altitude. They dominated completely. And now the next three championships are not at altitude next year in Planitza, not altitude, Trondheim at home in 2025, not at altitude. And then the Olympic cross country ski venue, if it stays is what's been announced now will be in Val de Fiem, which is not altitude. So you gotta, you gotta like your chances if you're the Norwegian uh, distance uh, skiers. Right. I, I just thought Kruger looked, uh, I always like watching Kruger. There's just like something about the way he uses his arms and legs. He just gets that a little bit of extra push right at the end that other guys don't get just this constant snappiness. Um, he's at this point, he's my favorite skater to watch on the, on the tour. I agree with you, especially, especially with like one skate, eh? or I don't know what that's called in, in American, but like when you're pulling each time, yep. <laughs> he's so, he's so solid and he has that snap. I agree with you. And, and I thought it was just a wonderful story. Like I've said previously on the podcast, like what he did in Pyeongchang when he fell out of the start in the skiathlon and went out of the stadium 30 seconds behind the last place skier and then ended up winning the skiathlon in, in Pyeongchang was the most incredible Olympic race I've ever seen. And I, I think what he did today to get bronze with no racing COVID, the stress being alone, rotting in, in sides around but like, and, and then just the nerves. And then also, also too, I wanted to mention this. It's like Kruger kind of, even before the shit hit the fan with the Norwegian team, Kruger, everyone was saying, and it's cause it's true. The guy's a beast at altitude. You know, some people are just good at altitude. My wife is a perfect example of this. Like Kristen is just good at altitude. When we were in Nepal a few years, well, many years ago now, because I have two kids and I'm wrecked tired, but pre-kids, we went to Nepal and did some trekking and a little bit of like climbing. And man, like 
once we got above 4,000, 5,000 meters, like I felt like total shit and you're taking like oxygen saturation and like, man, like I'm not feeling that great, you know? And Kristen, literally it's like her oxygen saturation to like 98 or something at like 5,000 meters and she feels totally fine. Like some people are just good at altitude and Kruger was good at altitude. This, this championship was set up for Kruger to dominate in the distance races, or at least go to toe to toe. We saw how good Bolshoff is. So you can't say dominate, but, but go toe to toe misses all that. And then he has one chance and then to deliver a bronze medal performance like that, like uh, that was, that was super inspiring. And like you said, Chris, the way he was skiing after all that is super, super impressive. Yeah. And I couldn't, couldn't help but think that if Kruger had been able to come back a little earlier, it would have made that God awful men's relay a hell of a lot more interesting. (laughs) Thank you for saying that. Like, there's no worse relay ever than that thing. Hey, Oh my God, that did not highlight our sport. Well, especially on the men's side whatsoever hats off to Russia for winning, but Jesus Christ, that was a, that was a grind to, to get through watching. Like, I just, I wish I could fast forwarded it. But pretty much the whole two weeks I've been like, okay, men's race. Yeah. Crap. Women's race. Yay. Yeah, (laughs) I agree. I totally agree. The sprints were great, but like, I, I agree. The distance races have definitely been a, a little too predictable, but, but uh, no, Bolshunov winning. Uh, I mean, we spent a lot of time. But I mean, like nine, I, I just repeated myself. That's what I do. But like, I wanted to get Chris's reaction to this. He's done. He started nine Olympic races. He's medaled in every single one of them. Like, I, I can't even like, I can't even digest that stat. That is just so crazy to me that he never has an off day at the Olympic Games. Cause there's a lot going on. You've raced the Olympics plenty of times, Chris, you have skis, you have courses that might not suit you, you have conditions that might not suit you. Like there's, there's a lot of variables. And the fact Questions that about doping. Yeah. Yeah. But of course it, it, there is, there is that, but like I've said previously, and I, I don't want to go into that right now because I think Bolshinov skis great I was just prepared, saying, and he delivered. I think I was that was saying that, saying that as distractions. a distraction. Uh, yeah, oh, a distraction. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Oh, yeah. You're out there. You're out there not getting death threats and stuff. And well, <laughs> I, think I, but, I think it was Pasha Khan who wrote an article for Faster Skier, you know, yesterday talking about how Bolshinov's childhood home is right next to the Ukraine border and they might invade there at point. any time. Good point. Um, good who point. knows how distracting that can be as well. So, yes, yeah, so, I mean, the guy, there, you, you never know what's going on in someone's life. Um, to to be that consistent is impressive. It's like it's like the U.S. press dream, you know. You, you everyone everyone wants uh, their athletes now to be Michael Phelps, you know. Oh, you got yeah. eight events. Are you going to win eight gold medals? <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, you only got you only got seven golds and a silver. Do you feel like a loser? Yeah, I, it's <laughs> um, so true. Um, so yeah, Bolshinov would the American media would love the Bolshinov story, um, but. Um, to be that that consistent is extremely impressive. Um, it's not yeah, crazy. Um, yeah, it's true. It's true. There's nothing else really to say. Like it's just like, uh, and the way he does it too. You know what I mean? Like he also had a troubled. Um, I, I think he. I think he really got his ass saved with uh, all those races getting canceled in January. I, I do. But you know what? That that he's not like he controlled that or anything. He he came to these Olympics. He was ready from day one. He was ready on the last day and. And he's the king of the Olympics, you know, like no, no man. And this is, you can fact check me on this, any listener or Nat or, or Chris or, but like, I'm pretty sure no other man in Olympic ski history has left with five medals. The reason why I can say that with some confidence is 
we've only had six events in the Olympics for not that long with the sprint and team sprint added. So it was kind of impossible to come away from the Olympics back in the days with five medals because there just wasn't five events you could compete for medals. But the fact of the matter is starts five events, wins five medals, uh, three of them gold. Bolshunov is, uh, man, I, I, he's not just going to get an apartment in Moscow from Putin. I, he's probably just going to get like, you know, when Putin steps down as the, as the president or whatever, he's probably just going to get that giant compound we raced by in Sochi, <laughs> uh, Chris, like up there in the mountains. Cause I mean, geez, it's, it's hard to have a better Olympics than five medals. Yes. Um, there's not much else. Yeah. There's not much else to say that Russia, Russia dominated these, these Olympics. Um, I've, in the Clybo looked like Clybo and the, you know, in the only, the, uh, three goal, two goals that he won, you know, it was only, he won two goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Only two goals for Clybo, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're used to Loser. see him win at least three. Yeah. We're used to see him win three minimum, but I will say this. I wanted to ask you about this while you're on is his discipline. We talked, we covered a lot about this earlier, but like his discipline in the 15 K classic, which was a race that you, definitely could deliver on the world cup and at championships. Were you, were you surprised that such a young athlete like Klebo with no medals at, at, in the distance races at championships was so disciplined or were you just, was that something that you were just expecting to see from such a seasoned athlete, even though he's only 25? You're talking about Klebo at last year's world championships? No, no, this year in the 15K Classic when he came through. Oh, in the 15K like Classic. So, so, I thought you said yeah. 15K Classic. No, no, sorry, sorry, 15K. Like, in, in, I was just curious to get your perspective because, you know, you know yeah, after for, watching him in the pursuit, I was very surprised that he was able to to get third in the 15K Classic. Um, I mean, Levo Niskanen was skiing on another planet this week in Classic. Um, so I did not think he was going to catch him. And then Bolshinov, after his the way he skied the skiathlon, it seemed like bronze was kind of the best he could possibly hope for. And then of course he got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's Clybo when, even when he's not on is, is impressive. Um, and it's also, you know, he's, he's smart in that he doesn't waste his energy on bad races and God, I wish someone would have talked to me about that in my career. <laughs> you know, me too. I had, you know, you have this thing about you don't drop out. You can have broken two broken poles and a broken leg. <laughs> you finish that damn race because I'm not sure why. It's uh, yeah. it was just ingrained into me. Um, uh, but man, finishing a bad race takes more out of you than finishing a good race. Um, and so from he's he's smart. He saves his energy. It's, it would be I'm sure that it'd be easy to criticize him too from somebody who takes the American perspective of you finish, you finish what you start. Um, but man, I would, have, I would have rather, uh, gotten a medal than uh, finished all the races that I did. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah I, sure. and I, I, I just, I mean, I, I know Devin already kind of praised, um, Clybo here, but, but I do think like, you know, the fact that the guy was sounded like he was absolutely miserable and, and sick, like, you know, superstar like that has already kind of, put in its time carried way more than his sort of fair share of the weight for the Norwegian team here, like totally could have, I think like plausibly said, I'm not even going to start this race, even when it's 30 K. And I think, you know, the fact that he was there on the start line, I mean, I don't know. I feel like Clybo, I, I, I think, I think Devin's been pretty hard on Clybo. We've, we've made some headlines here, but I, you know, I, I think the guy honestly has conducted himself like a professional, like a superstar, better than Northug ever did. Um, 
and and I think you know really just sort of deserves some appreciation for for what he did today. And I, I mean, I think it's like you know it's harder to do what he did today than it was for him to like win the sprint, win the team sprint, whatever. So I, I don't know. No, I, I agree with you, Nat. Like his professionalism, man. Like and role model for for the young Norwegians that look up to him. You know what I mean? Like he. I was, I was impressed that he tried because it shows like his grit, you know, uh, and, and he thought he could do it. Like, I, I'm just impressed with that too. Like the race was shortened. He's like, no, I, I know I'll regret it if I don't try. So I'm going to try. And then it takes a lot of, it takes also a lot of grit. Like you said, Chris, to just like pull the bib off and, and say like, no man, it, it's, it's not working here. You know, I know the Olympics is the big one and, but he wasn't going to do anything once he got dropped like that. And, there still is some world cup racing left to do and some big world cup racing left to do. I mean, there's a 50 K classic at home and That'd be pretty sweet to win, or at least contend. It's going to be hard to beat uh, Ivo Niskanen in that one, but, <laughs> but still like, you know, you can't just throw it all away to, to bury yourself completely with when you have stomach problems and, and stuff like that. So, and Claybo again, like going through the mix zone today, uh, like a total professional and, yeah. What, what can you say? He's uh, he's a great, he's a great ambassador for cross country skiing. There's no question. He's probably, I mean, he's a, not just a great ambassador. He's, he is the ambassador for how you want athletes to conduct themselves, uh, especially at the top end of the sport for sure. Except at the end of uh, distance relays. <laughs> yeah. That, that, and then, you know, I tried to walk it back and just got shat all over me too for it. But like, Maybe it wasn't really Klebo's fault, but it was definitely like the Norwegian leadership's fault or Fist's fault. It, it, you you got to have LeBron James for the for the picture and uh, the fact that they weren't able to get that done. I think everyone kind of regrets that now, and and hopefully they won't um, make decisions like that in the future. Although we did have a twenty eight point four kilometer race today, so who knows what Fist will will uh, pull out of their bag in the future? Just maybe um, maybe the, maybe the future is just unannounced racing line up and we'll tell you what's happening at 5k exactly yeah exactly. Exactly. Okay to go. i will i will add they they have moved tomorrow's race up uh like three hours it's like 11 or 11 30 local instead of uh two or three o'clock which i can tell you all the journalists here in uh jean jacou are really rejoicing over because it uh you know just means we'll be able to like drink a beer and go to bed at a reasonable hour uh tomorrow night yeah i think the women's race tomorrow is going to be super fun to watch for for the american fans jesse i i've said it all along i mean 30k skate uh it's a she can ski a little more intelligently than she she did in the team sprint for example she's showing that she's in good form she just has to have a solid race plan and stick to it and she could be there rosie good card to play big news is frida carlson got isn't allowed to start sweden even didn't didn't put her in the, the table is set wait yeah, a minute why can't set. she race the the swedish coaches uh after her performance in the relay decided that there's three other swedish women that are better than she okay. is and she's on a plane home so she was not very happy about that decision but that said um frida carlson's super young it's been a huge load on her to huge pressure she hasn't been able to deliver and she has not looked at like herself at all no no, exactly. And how she fell apart in the relay um, was kind of scary to see because her first two and a half K, she was skiing perfectly technically for her and, and uh, just ran out of energy. So the, the Swedish leadership decided to take that decision. And, but I think it does set the table for some, some open racing. I think you have Stadlober, Nepadeva, Parmakowski, 
uh, man, even Kirtu, even though I never would have thought she's a great skater, but how she was skiing in this Gathlon, Kirtu Niskanen is, is someone to watch as well. And uh, but we have two American names to cheer on. So it's going to be for the sharp end of the race. So I think tomorrow will be a, a super exciting competition. And, and then we're done. And we're done the Olympics in China and all the weird COVID stuff and all the weird time zones and weird courses and weather. And moving on for the next three championships, we're going to have them at like championship fantastic courses in Planitza. Trondheim is going to be an absolute mayhem. It's going to be a zoo. And then Val de Fiem, Chris, I mean, you've had some great success through your career in Val de Fiem. Like, I mean, that's one I'm of the, I think, I think it's that. one of the best venues in the world. So I'm, I'm happy. Oh, to, totally. Yeah. Um, it, the only problem is it doesn't really snow there anymore, but other than that, it's great. Um, yeah. And, but imagine the, having Olympics there. That's going to be yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, set up so well for spectating. Um, one of the, one of the hardest and most fair courses out there. So yeah. I think that'll be, that'll be great. I wanted to back up with will be other tomorrow. Um, I, I hope she shows a little bit, definitely shows more patience. Um, some, I, the, I, you know, you never know what, what's in her mind. You never know what the coaches are saying to her, but it just seems like her biggest successes have come when she's just been patient and out sprinted people at the end. And there's just no reason for, she's fast. There's just no reason for her to be pulling the train. Um, when, you know, she can out sprint a Stodlober. If she could stay with Teresa, she would, I would assume easily out sprint. Well, easily is a <laughs> strong word, no, but, but she would. Yeah. Um, so I hope she, she, she sits and waits and, uh, takes a, maybe a, a note from, from Patterson. Wait for your moment. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, exactly. She, I hope, I hope she was watching Scott on, on television today, which I imagine she probably was. So, um, what else do, what else do we got to cover from today? Is there anything else that's, uh, critical here? I think the only thing that's critical is Chris, Chris needs a, Chris needs a coffee and, I need to go tend to my flock here when I've got one, one daughter that's feeling a little under the weather, but I really, really appreciate you jumping on for this, Chris. It's uh, always great to see you and great to get your perspective. So uh, oh, it's good to see you too. Come, and I've already had four coffees. I've already no, had four coffees, but I gotta, take, <laughs> I gotta take care of my kid now too. Thanks for sticking with us. We'll be back.